0: Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. The audio for this episode comes from one of the sermons given this past Sunday. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by what you hear. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, first, let me say it's a great honor to be with you on this special day. As Russ said, my name is Colin Ambrose. I serve at St. George's in Nashville, I'm here with my wife, Tricia, and this is our first time to St. Martin's, and so again, we're grateful to be here uh, and grateful, Russ, for the invitation. When St. Martin was a young man, newly ordained deacon, he was traveling down a road one day alone when all of a sudden a group of men jumped him. They were there to rob him, and so after roughing him up a little bit, Uh, tying his arms behind his back, pushing him to the ground. They took his belongings. Uh, And after some time, these men left, and and St. Martin, still on the ground, he realized he was left alone with the leader of this this group of men. Now, this man was being belligerent, um, uh, trying to intimidate Martin, probably because he knew he was a Christian. And so he kept saying to Martin, mocking him, Are you afraid? Right, as St. Martin lay on the ground, are you afraid? Now, St. Martin, instead of getting frustrated or, or angry, cursing the man, instead he responded to him, no, I'm not afraid at all. In fact, I have never felt safer in my entire life. And then Martin went on to talk about the security and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus As your Lord and Savior. He preached the gospel to the man in love for him. He wanted this man to know Jesus. Now as as this man listened to Martin's words he was so convicted that he had a conversion experience and so he immediately untied Martin. He begged Martin's forgiveness for what he had done to him. Martin being a saint of course forgave him and then this man left to begin his Christian life forever changed, eternally changed because of this one encounter with Martin. You know when you read the lives of the saints uh, you come upon countless stories like this, uh, stories of service of love, of of courage. Uh, The great saints of the church like, like Martin they live these incredibly faithful lives that deeply impacted the world around them. And so for me, when I, when I read uh, the lives of, of different saints, read the, the life of Martin, the question that comes to me is, how did they do it? I mean, how did they live uh, in the way they did and have the impact they did? I I can tell you if I was lying on the ground, arms tied behind my back, I would have said or at least thought something very differently than St. Martin did, right? But the great saints, they they seem to be different. So how do they find the the courage, the strength, even the desire to live the lives that they do? Now I asked this question this morning because I, I believe that Jesus... And our gospel reading gives us the answer. He, he shares with us what, what motivates us and drives us forward in the Christian life. He, he gives us two parables. They are simple parables, but they're also quite profound. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that in these two parables, we find the secret to the Christian life. And so what I want to do this morning on, on this St. Martin's Day is I want to just look at these two parables and, and see what Jesus has to teach us about living out the Christian life. And then once we do that, I'll, I'll finish up with one more story uh, about Martin. So here are, the, here are the two parables. We've, of course, heard them, but let me read them to you again. And they're in your bulletin. Jesus says this to us. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So, there's a man. He's walking through a field. We don't know why. Maybe on uh, on his way to an important appointment. But he sees something. He goes, checks it out, and he realizes it's treasure. He recognizes the value. Of what he has found and so he runs into town joyfully and he sells everything he has to buy that field and have that treasure second parable again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search search of fine pearls on finding one pearl of great value and, and the Greek there is actually a little more exuberant it's a pearl of unsurpassed value there's no other pearl like this in the world on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So again, it's about a man finding a treasure. This time it's a pearl. little different. This man doesn't find it by accident. He's, he's looking for it. But when he comes upon this pearl, he recognizes the value of it. And just like the other man, goes and sells everything he has so that he can buy it. Now, a few things to see about these parables. First thing, Jesus says, begins these parables by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's how they that's how they begin. The kingdom of heaven is like. We're reading from Matthew's gospel. Uh, if this was Luke's gospel, it would be the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, they mean the same thing. The kingdom refers to the reality where God reigns, where God is king. The kingdom is what God is up to, what God is bringing about. It's it's God's purpose for the world. So the kingdom is is what God is bringing about. Now what we're told in both parables is that this kingdom, what, what God is up to, it's hidden. It's like a, like a treasure hidden in a field, or like a pearl that you have to search for. The kingdom, it is, it is hidden, Jesus says. And you see, that's the, that's the problem that the parables begin with the hiddenness of God's purposes, the hiddenness of His plan. And, and this should, I think, strike us as a little odd or surprising. I mean, I would think. That God would want to put his kingdom on display. Want to make sure that everybody could see it. So that we could buy into it and be part of it. But no, Jesus says the kingdom is, is hidden. This, this idea of the hiddenness of God and his ways. You find it throughout the scriptures. But you see it especially with Jesus. Think about Jesus. Here here is God in the flesh, God coming into the world, manifesting himself to us. But in a sense, he's hidden. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, we're told this, God came into the world, and though he made the world, the world did not recognize him. The world saw Christ, the incarnate God, as just another ordinary Joe. And then in that same chapter, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus. He says, the one who is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he stands among you and you do not know him. Again, hidden. This kind of reminds me of the uh, TV show, Antiques Roadshow. I'm sure most of you have seen this. It's been on PBS for a long time. When my children were young, uh, this was before streaming, we would sit down at night sometimes and we would go through the channels to try to find something we could watch as a family. And often we'd end up on this show, Antiques Roadshow, because it's it's a safe show to watch with little ones. So you know the premise, probably. Experts go to a city and people will bring their belongings, uh, maybe antiques or things handed down to them, or maybe they bought something at a flea market. They bring it to the expert to see if this thing has any, any real value. And so uh, what happens is most of the time people bring their things to the experts and the experts will say, well, this is, this is a beautiful piece. Uh, clearly has some sentimental value for you, but, but it's really not of, of any value. Um, but occasionally, and this is what makes this sh- show kind of exciting, is someone will show up with a painting. I th- this is a painting that their, their second cousin gave to them 30 years ago. They've had it hanging in a back room for all these years. So they bring it to the expert. expert looks at it and says, oh my goodness. Do you you know what you have here? This is a priceless work of art. This deserves to be in a museum. And the response of of the owner is always the same. They're shocked, right? They they have walked past this painting thousands of times. and, And they've missed it. They never knew that they had this treasure hanging on their wall. It was hidden from them. Or someone brings in a piece of pottery, and the expert says this piece of pottery, it is worth tens of thousands of dollars, and the owner is shocked. Right? He's had this in his garage, he's been keeping nails in it. Right? He had no idea that this was a treasure. It was hidden from him. Jesus tells us that the, the kingdom of heaven is near says that over and over again. says the realm of God is right here, right now, in the present tense. The relationship with God's love that, that sets us free, it's here. And yet so often it is hidden from us. A few years ago I came upon an article in the New York Times called Darwin's God. You can find this online. But in this article... One of the main persons they talk to is a Dr. Atran. Dr. Atran is an an anthropologist at Columbia University, and Dr. Atran, he is utterly curious about why religion exists in the world. Why why are so many people religious? Why do we gather on a regular basis to worship? That's his his question that, that has been driving him in his career. And what he argues, as an anthropologist after studying this, he he argues it's been discovered that religion is hardwired into us, into our brains. In other words, our brains are made to long for the transcendent, right? We seek the divine, that, that that is built into our created nature, it's hardwired sounds very similar to what the great reformer John Calvin calls the sense of the divine that we all have right? God's fingerprint on us that is meant to lead us back to him. Now here's the interesting thing Atran and his colleagues uh, they, don't, they don't see this hardwiring as pointing to God. And that's because they don't believe in God. Instead uh, they see this as an accidental result of, of something uh, we needed for survival. This is just a again an accidental or unintended byproduct of evolution. For them, the fact that people hunger for God, it is it is just an accident. And you see what is happening here. Atran and, and thinkers like him, they have a vision for the world. And and God doesn't fit into that vision. They're secularists. And so because God doesn't fit in their vision, they, they make a judgment. It's not God. It's an accident. And therefore, because of their bias, because of their prejudice, they cannot see the fingerprint of God. It's hidden from them. You see, Jesus begins these parables by saying the kingdom of heaven is hidden. But it's not God who hides it; it's hidden because we don't see it. It's not our priority. We're not looking for it. Our egos to get in the way. It gets hidden beneath all our biases. We are the problem. And so Jesus begins. He says, "The kingdom of heaven. It's hidden." But, of course, the parables go on. And what happens is these two men, they do something special. And that is when they come upon this treasure, they recognize it. They see the treasure and they realize its value, its significance. This thing that they didn't earn or make, it's just given. They just find it. They realize how valuable it is. Now when this happens when they recognize its value two things occur and they and they occur almost automatically first they're filled with joy that makes sense you find your treasure you're going to be filled with joy but then second in their joy they go and sell everything they have to possess this treasure so we've got a treasure it was it was hidden but they recognize its value they're filled with joy, and then they go sell everything they have to possess the treasure. There's a commentator, a biblical commentator named Frederick Bruner, great commentator. He has a commentary on, on the Gospel of Matthew. And this is what he writes about these two men and about these two parables. And this, I think, gets to the heart of these parables. He writes. The main point in both parables is the joy of the gospel, moved by joy. Each of the two men, the farmer and the businessman, changed his life completely, sold absolutely everything they had, and bought the new precious reality. This is the point of the parable, joy is the engine of change. One could say joy is the engine of sacrifice. If it were not for the fact that neither the farmer nor the businessman thinks for a moment that he is making a sacrifice at all. This was smart business. It was joy. Neither the farmer nor the businessman lost a thing. Both made huge gains. And Bruner ends by writing, the basic motive of discipleship is joy. Joy in discovering the reality of Jesus. It's joy, right? Joy that comes when we recognize the treasure given to us, right? It's that joy that drives us forward, that that motivates us. When our hearts are are truly stirred and we see the significance and the value of the kingdom, when when that happens. We discover the the courage. And the strength and, and the desire. To live faithful lives. To live in light of the kingdom. That's when you say to God. You want my time. You want my money. You want my thoughts. You want my relationships. Take it. You can have it. Because what, what seems like a sacrifice. Is so small. When it's put in comparison. To what he did for us. And what he continues to do. The price he paid, that he conquered death, that he forgives us of our sins, that he gives us his presence and the spirit, that we've been liberated and free, that he gives us a new name, right? And changes us from the inside out, that he promises eternity with him forever. It's joy. Joy in all these things that empower us to live our Christian lives. It empowers us to give God the lavish outpouring of our life to him. At the very end of his life, when St. Martin was serving as as a bishop, he was called to a monastic community. He was called there because the brothers were struggling. And so he goes... And when he gets there, what he discovers is he discovers the brothers are are grumbling, they're bickering, there's infighting between them. And so he gathers them together and he rebukes them. And he says to them, If the shepherds are divided, who will gather the sheep? When the brothers hear this, they fall to their knees. They say, We are so sorry, we will do better. And, and they beg Martin's forgiveness. For the way they've been behaving, and, and Martin once again he he forgives them, and after he hears their confession and absolves them, he leaves them with these words. He says, "I am now over eighty years old, and my ears hear the music of heaven, and so my sons, gladden my last days with your good deeds." And then as as a final way of of teaching them how to live in this new way, he says to them, serve God in joy. Not serve God with joy, but serve God in joy, rooted in joy, the joy of the kingdom. And so listen, listen, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl that Not everyone sees some pass these treasures by their entire life, but some they stumble upon it or they find this treasure after a long search. And when they find it, their hearts are overjoyed and they trade in their old life and they begin to invest in a new life, a life that makes this treasure the center of all that they do and all that they are. They begin to live lives. Reconciled to God and and reconciled to their neighbor. And they see their entire lives as an opportunity to share the joy of the kingdom. That that was the life of St. Martin. That was the life of all the saints. And may that be true of us as well. May we recognize the treasure that's been given to us and serve God enjoy amen thanks for listening the wayside podcast is a ministry of saint martin's episcopal church in houston texas It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. Be sure to rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen to us. This helps more folks discover our podcast. If you'd like to know more about St. Martin's, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.